uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. Said it right today. Yeah, uh, we are more than halfway through a new month the first month of a new year, and that requires a sip of coffee. We are more than halfway through January, heading toward February. That means we are really right at six weeks until Shepherd's Conference. So if you are going to be at the Shepherd's Conference, let me know. I'd love to see you. Love to meet you. You know, sign autographs, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's really going to happen. Um, Although I actually, it's funny, my very first Shepherds Conference, I was not podcasting then, but I was blogging and I had, uh, you know, was just new on Twitter. I mean, we're talking 2011. And uh, so I, uh, I just put out a thing on Twitter saying, hey, squirrel fans, I'm at you know, Shepherd's Conference this week, and, if you know, for the next half hour or so, I'll be in front of the seminary, and I'm wearing a red T-shirt or whatever I was wearing. And I had a guy come up to me, and he looked at me funny, and he said, I'm looking for a squirrel. And uh, that was Pastor Dave Caldwell, who is now one of my dearest friends. He was, I think that was his first year in seminary, if I'm right. He was just starting uh, Master Seminary, and uh, he is now one of my dearest friends. Um, he and his whole family, I have stayed at their house multiple times, eaten dinner at their table, uh, sat under his preaching at the church. Um, just a great guy. If you're in the Santa Clarita area and you're looking for a church, I... I uh, can't help but recommend Santa Clarita Baptist Church to you. Uh, good church, good people. You know, if you're up in Santa Clarita and you don't want to drive down to the valley to go to Grace Community Church, um, you know, 3,000 people or 6,000 people, however many att people attend Grace Church, puts you off and you want to go someplace that's every bit as solid and a little bit smaller, head on over to uh, Santa Clarita Baptist Church. Um, which is also the home of the Santa Clarita Christian School. Um, and SCCS has a, is a great program. Um, to the best of my knowledge, the last time I was down there, they, could, they had more people on the waiting list than they could take. Um, people were fleeing. The, this, was, this was right in the wake of COVID and the shutdowns. And people were fleeing the L.A. County school system, which I understand they're still doing. Um, so, all right, folks, excuse me for just a moment. I need to take care of something, and I will be right back. 
And I'm back. I apologize. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I'm going down to Shepherd's Conference. Would love to meet up with you. Um, I have never signed autographs and have no intention of it. Most of the time, between sessions, you can find me in the patio area um, between the, uh, the seminary and the worship center. That's where I tend to hang out if I'm not in the book tent or if I'm not somewhere else. <laughs> but that's the general area where I hang out between sessions. So you can look for me there. Love to see you. If you're going to be there, if you are going to be there, drop me a line. Uh, squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. That's in just six weeks. And just to let you know, because... Because um, we're not doing a Bible read-through this year, I am not going to pre-record episodes while I go to Shepherd's Conference. So the podcast will go dark for those 10 days. Uh, it's actually only be like six or seven days that I'm attending, you know, six or seven weekdays that I'm attending Shepherd's Conference. So there, there will not be any regularly scheduled squirrel chatter. I will have some portable gear with me. And if I decide I want to uh, do a live cast from the Shepherd's Conference or record an episode and post it um, during the Shepherd Conference, I'll do that. And I'll have the ability to do that. But I'm not going to make any promises. Um, not having any plans to, to do such a thing. And, and that's just the way it is. So you know. And having said all that, this is Squirrel Chatter, <laughs> a podcast that is dedicated to scripture, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about, such as my travel plans in six weeks. We webcast live at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then the audio podcast is available for download wherever fine podcasts are found. And Squirrel Chatter is a member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head out over to christianpodcastcommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. And I, I commend it to you you're certain to find something worth listening to. So after you've had your fill of squirrel chatter and you're looking for something else to, to fill your ears with as you are commuting to work or, or uh, whatever it is that you're doing, I would uh, highly recommend that you do that. <laughs> Does that make sense? All right. We are today resuming our study of Deuteronomy. We are in chapter 1, and we're going to be picking up in verse 19 and following. Uh, hope to get to chapter 2, but there's a lot in chapter 1, so we'll see. And as I said, we're not going to set goals here on Squirrel Chatter regarding how, many, how far into a passage we're going to get during the day. We are doing a Bible study level or study Bible level Bible study. So we're not going real deep, but we want to, at the same time, come away with an understanding of what the passage is talking about. And uh, just 
we're doing Deuteronomy because it is, in many ways, the Romans of the Old Testament. And after the Psalms, it was the most quoted book by Jesus during his earthly ministry. So it's an important Old Testament book, and it's important to, to the understanding of the flow of redemptive history. And so that is the book that we are going through first, is Deuteronomy. Don't know how long it's going to take us. Like I said, I'm not, not setting goals. I, I, I had goals at the beginning last week when we started, and it occurred to me rapidly, this is going to take much longer than I had anticipated. All right. Let us begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 1, picking up in verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, and went through all that great and fearsome wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as Yahweh our God had commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Now we know from earlier verses in the chapter that this is a trip of, a, of an 11-day journey. And as I said <clears throat> last week, that is a a statement of distance, not of time. That might be, you know, in a fast car on a clear day kind of thing. Um, the, this is the, the ideal travel time that Google Maps would give you. Um, well, I think, I think it says by car. Somebody posted a thing the other day that it was by car from the traditional location of Mount Sinai, which I don't believe is correct, to Jerusalem by car is like 30 hours. And they were laughing at the fact that it took, you know, 40 years. Well, it didn't take them 40 years. It took them a couple of months to go from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. But we're talking about moving millions of people they did not march every day. They, they had to take down the camp. Then they had to assemble in marching order, march for a while, reset up the camp in time to go to bed. 
Now, if you've ever been backpacking, which I've done quite a bit of, you know, you can go in mountain trails. If you do 10, 11 miles a day, 10, 12 miles a day, that's a good hike, especially in the mountains because you're going up and down, you're gaining elevation and whatnot. And most of my hiking has been in the mountains. I've never really done a long flatland hike. But if you, you know, get 10 miles in, that's a good day's hike. And it doesn't take long to set up a backpacking tent and everything because they're designed, they're small, they're light, they're easy to set up. This was not the case <laughs> with the ancient Israelites. They did not have ultralight modern gear that was easy to set up and take down. We're dealing with large Bedouin-type tents, plus the tabernacle and everything, and that would have to be set up. So they would move, and then they would set up camp. Now, I don't know if they set up camp every day on the move. I, I imagine... That If they were going to be moving the next day, they would hike until nightfall and then sleep on the ground and then hike. Um, perhaps the, the camp was only set up when they were going to be staying somewhere for a while. That's a good, good speculation. I'm not sure. That just occurred to me. But this 11-day this journey, which was, you know, like I said, on a fast car on clear days, you know, one guy with a camel um, could do it in 11 days. But for millions of people, it took several months. And numbers 13 and 14 give us the details on that. Actually, numbers 12 and 13 on the hike from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea. Now, Kadesh Barnea, the word Kadesh just simply means holy place. And there were a lot of Kadeshes. Kadesh Barnea is the specific holy place. And as I said, you know, the vast majority of the time spent, quote unquote, wandering in the wilderness, waiting for the generation to die off, which we're about to look at. Um, the vast majority of that time was spent camped at Kadesh Barnea. Um, they were not. You know, I, I, I guess growing up, I'd always had this picture in my head of the wandering in the wilderness, like some scene from a Western movie of the guy out in the desert with his empty canteen just barely on his feet trying to make it to the next waterhole. You know, that was kind of my picture in my head, because that's the idea of wandering in the wilderness, right? But that was not the case. Um... Again, it was millions of people. They were not out of resources because God was miraculously feeding them and God miraculously gave them water a time or two. So they were not, you know, it wasn't that wandering through the Mojave in the middle of, you know, summer with your dead horse and your empty canteen trying to make it to some oasis, not the way it was working. So 
We came to Kadesh Barnea, Moses said, and I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which Yahweh our God is about to give us. See, Yahweh your God has given over the land before you. Go up, take possession. As Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you, do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. They are going up to conquer the land, and God tells them not to, not to fear. He's about to send them into battle. They are about to go up against the people of the land, and he says, don't fear. And the reason they are not to fear is because he has past tense, given over the land before you. Go and take it. It's already yours. They could have had great confidence going into the land. It's learned later in, in the book of Joshua when they take um, Jericho Remember the, you know, which was miraculous. That was the way the whole conquest would have gone had they been obedient and gone in. It would have just been, you know, one miraculous victory after another because God had already given the land over to them. They just had to go take it. And when Joshua and the Hebrews took Jericho, they learned from Rahab and her family that when they had come 40 years before, everybody in the land had been terrified of them. They were not looking forward to fighting the Israelites. If your enemy is terrified of you, the battle is already won. You know, and, and so that was the situation that they were in. The land had already been given over to them. Go and take it. Don't be afraid. Now, remember, these are the people, the very people that had witnessed the plagues in Egypt. They had seen the reign of hail and fire. They had seen, excuse me, the, the frogs, the flies, the Nile turned to blood. They had witnessed all that. They, they hadn't heard of it. They hadn't been told about it. These were the people that saw it. And, and I'm not talking about the people that, that Moses is addressing in Deuteronomy. I'm talking about the people he's talking about, that first generation that would, had come to Kadesh Barnea and God had told them to go in and take the land. They had witnessed the plagues on Egypt. They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They'd seen the drowning of Pharaoh's army. They had, they'd heard the cries as the sea closed back over the men and the chariots and the horses. They had heard their cries and doubtless knew exactly what had happened. They had been fed for years by the manna from heaven. Remember, they were encamped at Mount Sinai for two plus years while they built the tabernacle and, and the Ark of the Covenant and all the stuff that, 
that God had said to build for the worship of God, the, the bronze sea and the, 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 the lampstands and all the stuff that they had built for the tabernacle, including the tabernacle itself, had taken upwards of two years. And during that whole time, they had been fed miraculously with manna from heaven. And think of that. They hadn't had to scavenge for food. They were able to devote all of their time to preparations of the tabernacle and the worship of God. And, of course, the caring of their flocks. And, I mean, they had stuff to do. But this, this, this is the people who had seen this. Yet what, they, what happens next is clearly disobedience. God had said, don't, don't be afraid. Go in, take the land. And they didn't do it. And even while God approved of the sending of the spies, and we see that in Numbers 13, 1 and 2, the fact that the people desired spies to be sent was evidence of fear. This wasn't, and, and this is something we need to understand, this wasn't just trying to understand what's the best road to take to get to the first city we're going to conquer. This was military intelligence. What are we going in to face? And it was both wise and unwise at the same time. It was wise because it helps you plan, but it was unwise because it, it stemmed from fear. And we see that as it unfolds. So Moses reminds the, the, the Israelites of what their parents had done. Okay, verse 22. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. So clearly, the sending of the spies is at the instigation of the people. God approved of it. Moses prayed to God, and we see, in, in, like I said, in the first verses of chapter 13 of Numbers, that God approved of the sending of the spies. God allowed the sending of the spies. And, of course, God has, you know, in his infinite work, mercy, you know, foreordained everything whatsoever comes to pass. So this was in, even their rebellion here is part of God's plan. Um, and is part of, you know, it's ultimately for our good and his glory, um, even when we can't understand it all the time. Moses continues, verse 23, And the thing was good in my sight, and I took twelve of your men, one man for each tribe. Then they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol. Now, this is one of several large valleys near Beersheba. Um, I think Eshcol means Valley of Grapes because they brought back these huge bundles of grapes from the valley to show 
how rich the land was. But Beersheba is midway between the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean, kind of, south of Jerusalem. So it would have been, you know, um, if the spies went circled around the south of the Dead Sea and came up from the south, it would have been one of the first places they came from. And I'm not sure of the spies' route. I didn't look at Numbers 13 this week, so I'm not, not up on the route that the spies took. But that's where Beersheba is, and that's where this valley is. We, again, this is one of those locations that we don't know exactly where it is, but it is near Beersheba. That much we, we, and there are several large valleys in that area. Um, it says, so they, they went to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought word back to us and said, it is a good land, which Yahweh, our God is about to give us. Now, this is a very condensed account of the reports of the spies. And this is really only the report of Caleb and Joshua, because Caleb and Joshua focused on what a great place this is that God is giving us. This is going to be a good place to live. This is going to be fabulous. This is going to be fruitful, and we're going to be we're going to be wealthy and comfortable and happy beyond our wildest dreams when we settle in the land. That's two of the twelve spies. Remember, they sent one from each tribe. The other 11 were not nearly so glowing in their report because they were not looking at what God had given them. They were looking at what they thought they had to overcome to get it. Now, they didn't have to overcome it. <laughs> That's the thing. They didn't have to overcome it. God had already given it to them. But this is this human thought process as opposed to focusing on the things of God, they had focused on human effort and what they thought they had to achieve. So if you've got your Bible, flip back to Numbers 13, and let's look at verses 25 through 33, which is the report of the spies, the return of the spies. Then they returned from spying out the land, at the end of 40 days and went to, and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. That's Kadesh Barnea. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they recounted to him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we are surely able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, 
We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. They're too strong for us. They're not too strong for God. See how they took their, they're, they're looking at the wrong thing. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land which we have passed through to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. The, this, is, this is fear. God had said, go, go in and do not be afraid. Go take the land. But because they weren't looking at God, they were looking, as I said, at human effort, at what they thought they had to achieve. They gave up. It's kind of like when one of the things that my dad used to send me out to do when I was a kid was to clean the garage. <laughs> and, uh, and before we had a garage, I had to clean the shed or, or, the, and, or the, the shop in the basement. You know, that was one of the things that, that, that one of my tasks. And I would go and I would stare at the jumble and the disarray that I was expected to put right. And I would be seriously discouraged. And of course I was the typical, you know, lazy teenager whose plans were to lay about all day. And uh, that was not to be allowed, rightfully so. Um, but, you know, I would, I would get dismayed at the task ahead of me instead of just jumping in and doing it. And when you jump in and do it, it doesn't take as long as you thought. It's done before you, uh, before you know it, and then you can get on with your day. But when you sit there and dismay over it and procrastinate and don't get down to it, then you end up making it a bigger task than it would have been. So this, this, is, this is human nature. This is something that, that we're all prone to from time to time. This is why all of the, all of the how to be successful self-help things, you know, the, the journaling and the, the things, they all say, you know, break your task down into smaller tasks and tackle them one at a time. That's the other thing is, is you look at this report that the spies brought and they were talking about, you know, the vast numbers of Hittites and Amalekites and Jebusites and Hivites and, and, and the Canaanites and all of these peoples that were in the land, like they were going to have to take them all on at once. For one thing, most of these groups wouldn't cooperate with each other. For the other thing, they didn't have modern communications. So even if a Canaanite group on the, on the coast would have been willing to help an Amalekite group in the hill country, by the time a message got to them, it would have been over. So it's not like they were going to be facing the massed might 
of all the inhabitants in the land, they were going to be able to divide and conquer. Um, more so than, than in modern warfare with, you know, high speed travel and, and instant communication. It's much harder to do that. But back then, you know, everything traveled at the speed of horse and, you know, it, it was, the, you didn't have the communications efforts or communications abilities that we do now. So they were looking at this whole vast land like it was something they had to, you know, take in one bite. And and that was not the case at all. And then as I said, they were they were not looking at God and what God could accomplish. Okay, back to Deuteronomy in verse 26. Moses says, Yet you were not willing to go up but rebelled against the command of Yahweh your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because Yahweh hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. This was a constant refrain from the Hebrews. God has brought us here to destroy us. They, they said it to Moses when they were on the, the shore of the Red Sea, when Pharaoh's army had caught up with them before God parted the Red Sea and allowed them to escape through the water. They, they said it at Mount Sinai when Moses was up on the mountain for so long. They were like, well, he's dead. What are we going to do now? Did God bring us all the way out here to destroy us? And that was when they persuaded Aaron to make the golden calf so that they could try to focus the people's attention yeah, you know, this has been a constant refrain. And this is the refrain they have here. Did God bring us out here to destroy us? Talk about unbelief. As I said, these are the people that, that had been fed by God's hand for years. They had witnessed the Exodus, all of the great acts of God that had been done for, you know, several years before this. This is not like, and it's not like even... It was 10 years ago. It was three years ago was the Exodus. They'd spent two years at Mount Sinai. These are the people who have been living this for three years. They'd seen the manna every morning. They'd seen all of the blessings that God had given them. They had heard the voice of God from the mountain. We often forget, and I, and I think in a way I blame Cecil B. DeMille and, and Charlton Heston, we forget that the Ten Commandments were not given to Moses alone up on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments were given directly by God to all the people of Israel. Every one of these people who is standing here saying, no, we're not going in there. It's, it's too bad. We're, we're not going to go in there and be destroyed. God's trying to kill us. Every one of the people that is saying that actually heard the voice of God give them the Ten Commandments. And they had said afterwards to Moses, you go talk to God we don't want to go through that again. 
because the voice of God had terrified them. You know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but they had not taken wisdom out of it. Now, I need to say something here because it is a tendency for many of us, I think all of us from time to time, and some people never get past it, to look at the disobedience and rebellion of ancient Israel. And it doesn't end here. I mean, we see it all through after they're in the land, um, you know, the taking of, of uh, you know, God said, destroy everything, and yet you have people taking valuables, and so that there's sin in the camp, and, and God doesn't allow them to win the next battle. You see it in the setting up of idols and the worship of false gods. You see it in, you know, throughout Israel's history, um, to, to, you know, leading up to the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities. And then we see it again during the life of Christ, this great disobedience that was part of Israel's history. God himself calls Israel a stiff-necked and disobedient people. And we tend to look upon Israel, we look upon their lack of faith, we look upon their disobedience with a sense of disdain. Well, I would never have done that. I would have obeyed God. I would have done what God told me to do. Folks, you wouldn't have. Neither would have I. You know, we all hope to be Caleb or Joshua. But the fact of the matter is, we're more often the other ten. We don't look at what God can do. We look at what we're expected, or we think we're expected to do on our own. And so we don't do it. And we all you know, go through periods of rebellion. And we can have hope because we're not saved through obedience, we're saved through faith. And that is such a glorious thing. That's something that just should bring us a great deal of joy and a great deal of peace because it's not our obedience that saves us, it's Christ's. Now, we should strive to obey. That is the path to sanctification. It's not the path to salvation. The obedience is Christ. That, and that is what we depend on. So, as we look at the history of Israel, and we look at their disobedience, we look at their lack of faith, we look at all the, frankly, stupid things they did, because it's... It is not wise to disobey God. It just isn't. Yet we all do it. That's because we're sheep. <laughs> um, sheep are not the brightest critters on the planet. And that is why it's an apt metaphor for humanity. Uh, and, and, and so just like sheep need a shepherd, so do we. Because on our own, we're going to do stupid things. And so that's what we see here. 
All right, continuing, verse 28. This is the Israelite people saying to Moses, where can we go up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt. That's a, a expression of fear. Saying the people are bigger and taller than we, the cities are large and fortified to heaven, and moreover we saw the sons of the Anakim there. So you know there are giants in the land. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, we can never do this, which is the point. God had said He would do it. Then Moses said to them, He says, "Then I said to you, verse twenty-nine." Do not be in dread nor fear them. Yahweh, our God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you saw how Yahweh, your God, carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. Look at what God's done for you. You can rely on God. And again, this is not a generation that had heard stories of God's faithfulness. This was a generation that had experienced and witnessed God's faithfulness. And Moses is reminding him of that. Don't fear. Go up and take the land. God's giving it to you. And this is the same God who brought you out of Egypt. This is the same God who's fed you for the last three years in the wilderness. This is the same God who destroyed Pharaoh's army. This is a, you know, what are you worried about? God said he'd give it to you. But for all this, you did not believe Yahweh your God. Unbelief, lack of faith. Excuse me. You did not believe Yahweh your God who goes before you on your way to spy out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and a cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. See, this is, this is going back. This is what they said about why they should send the spies. To, to spy out for us where to encamp, to, to show us the way they should go. And Moses is saying, God does that. He'd done that during the wilderness because they had followed the, the pillar of smoke by day, the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire by night. The, the, the Shekinah glory of God had guided them and protected them. Because God put his pillar of fire between Pharaoh's army and the Hebrews at the, at the shore of the Red Sea and kept Pharaoh's army away from them. So this is, you know, God is going to show you the way. God is going to scout out the land. God is going to show you the way you should go. God is going to show you where to encamp. But they continued to grumble and they continued to disobey. They were not going to go. They were refusing. You, you can picture the, the two-year-old, uh-uh, no. And that was kind of the, the, the attitude they had. They were not going to go. Verse 34. And this is, again, one of the, the when God's judgment falls, it's profoundly sad. It's not sad because it's wrong. God is perfectly righteous in his judgment. It's sad because people bring it on themselves. When God's judgment falls upon a people, 
it is their own fault. So when we look at America, which is clearly under the judgment of God, uh, go and listen to John MacArthur's message, When God Abandons a Nation. That's got to be 15 years old by now. Yet, it tells us exactly where we are right now. He's going through the the last part of Romans chapter 1 and pointing out the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man in giving them over to a sexual revolution, in giving them over to a homosexual revolution, and in God giving them over to the unfit mind, a depraved mind, a mind that is unfit, that doesn't work, that doesn't measure up, that fails the test. And and as I've said before, for years, I couldn't figure out exactly what that unfit mind was. Now I understand. It's a mind that thinks a boy can become a girl and thinks that's a good thing. Uh, It's a mind that doesn't know what bathroom it's supposed to use. That's the unfit mind. You know, uh, the sexual revolution, you know, sexual immorality is sin. Homosexuality is sin. Transgenderism is irrational. It's just not, it makes zero sense. It is illogical. It is irrational. It is beyond comprehension how somebody could think it was okay, yet millions do. And this is because God has given us over to a depraved mind. The judgment of God has fallen on Western civilization because Western civilization has for the last century if not more, been walking away from God with with pockets here and there, revivals here and there. But for the vast majority of the people, for the vast majority of the time, since the generation right after the Reformation, has been walking away from God, has been rejecting God, has been suppressing the truth in their unrighteousness, and God's wrath is being poured out on Western civilization, and that includes the United States of America. And we are under the wrath of God. And whenever the wrath of God falls, it's profoundly sad because it's self-inflicted. It's justified, but it's our fault. It's our own fault. So Yahweh heard the sound of your words. It's verse 34. And he was angry and swore an oath, saying, Not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb the son of Jephunai. He shall see it. And to him and to his sons I will give the whole land on which he has set foot, because he has followed Yahweh fully. So, here is the incident. God has finally said, okay, that's it. You're not allowed to enter into the promised land. 
Now, Moses then jumps in time because this event that, uh, that he speaks about in verse 37 happened later. Um, and I don't have in my notes where to find it, but it happened during after they turned away from the promised land when they were wandering in the wilderness. The people needed water. And there was a rock in the desert that earlier God had instructed Moses to strike with his staff so that water would come out for the people. And the same rock, the people now are needing water, the same rock God told Moses to speak to, and it would give out water. But Moses was irritated at the people. I don't know, I mean, I'm one of those people, I struggle with a temper. I have a temper. And there are times that I'm just irritable. Um, this is not a good thing, and I'm not making excuses. <laughs> um, but there are times I'm just irritable, and I get snappish. And so Moses was having a bad day. The people were irritating him. And so he yelled at the people and struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, as God had instructed him. Because of that, God told him, he said, you misrepresented me to the people. I am not angry with the people. Yet you portrayed me as being angry. You misrepresented me. That's a failure as a prophet to fail to accurately represent God. Because of that, God said, you are not allowed to enter into the promised land. Now, this is, of course, after all of this that Moses is giving this address in Deuteronomy. So he kind of jumps around in time and, and gives verse 37 and 38, which came later chronologically. This did not happen at the Numbers 13, 14 time. This happened later. It said in verse 37, Yahweh was angry with me also on your account, saying, not even you shall enter there. So God told Moses, you will not enter the promised land. And so Moses is, is reminding the people of this because they're about to enter the promised land. And so he's starting off here at the very beginning of his account of, of his final instructions, his last words to the, the nation of Israel that he has led for half a century or close to it. He is telling them before, he, before they depart and he dies, he's reminding them and he's, he's not going to go with them. And so right up here front, this is, this is kind of why this is, this is in this section, even though it historically didn't belong here. It's here because this is the beginning of Moses' address, and he wants to be clear. I'm not going with you, but Joshua is going to lead you. So he's already said that Caleb will be allowed to enter the land, now Joshua. The two spies who were faithful, they get to enter the land. Everybody else of that generation had to die off. Yeah. Not harsh. Not harsh, folks. This is the judgment of God, and it is right and just. 
So he says, Yahweh was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Strengthen him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. So Moses is not going to get to lead the Israelites into the promised land, into the conquest at the end of the wilderness wanderings. He would have had they entered at the time of Numbers 13. But because they disobeyed, God said, you know, turn, turn around, go back into the wilderness, and you're going to be out in the wilderness until this entire generation dies off. Um, and, and he says, you know, moreover, this is God speaking again, your little ones who you said would become plunder and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there and I will give it to them and they shall possess it. One of the things that the Israelites had said about not going into the land was they'll just kill us all and our children will be their slaves. And so God is saying, no, it's to your children that I'm going to give the land. And apparently... This was the young ones. He says, it's those who have no knowledge of good or evil. Um, you know, at what age does a child become aware of good and evil? I, I don't know, and it's probably different for each child, but it's young. We're not talking about teenagers. We're talking about children. You know, I would say younger than 10 or 11. Everybody older, you know, even if we just take the, 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 the traditional Jewish 13 as the age of adulthood, if everybody over 13 had to die before the nation could enter into the wilderness or enter into the promised land. So by the time they get to the promised land, you know, consider the oldest of them are in their late 40s, early 50s. And everybody who had been older than them had died off. So at that time, the oldest people would have been getting old. Late 40s, 50s was, was old in ancient times. So this is something to, to think about. This was the act of God's judgment. The, the ones, your sons, who this day have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall enter there, and I will give it to them. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Go back the way you came. Oh, no, we're going to keep disobeying. Verse 41. Then, I, then you said to me, we have sinned against Yahweh, we will indeed go up and fight just as Yahweh our God commanded us. Now, that was the previous command. That's been rescinded. The command now is to go back out into the wilderness, not to go fight. But they're realizing now what they're losing. They're realizing now the consequences of disobedience. And like idiots, they disobey again. 
Every man of you, Moses says, girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. And Yahweh said to me, say to them, do not go up and do not fight, for I am not among you, so that you are not defeated before your enemy. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of Yahweh and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. And that's where we're going to stop today. So we will pick up tomorrow morning in verse 44. And uh, uh, that'll, be, that'll be a good study. We're, we're, someday we will finish chapter 1, I promise. I am taking it slower than I had uh, first anticipated, but that's the way of it. All right, let's uh, recite the Apostles' Creed together and uh, then close the show. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for today. Please do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to do. Don't act presumptuously. Obey the commands of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. See you again tomorrow. Take care. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.